one of the things you're trying to promote is this hospital comfort kit. When we were in the hospital, everybody that was reaching out to us was saying, we'll do anything. What do you need? And we had no answer. And then they would send us flowers or they would send us candy. You know, after a couple of months in the hospital, it's just like, all right, enough candy. Then I started to think about the gifts that we received that were really helpful. It just occurred to me that, boy, it would be great for people, especially those that aren't familiar with long hospital stays, to get a basket that was geared toward being stuck in a hospital. Little Bluetooth speaker, a water bottle. It all comes in a cooler. Sometimes you want something that's cold. It's handy to have a cooler back scratcher, chapstick, and then on top of that, a hospital survival guide with identification for items that we didn't include in the kit that they may want to bring from home, like a pillow, but bring one with a different pillowcase so it doesn't get taken by the staff when they go to change things around. That gives the recognition of thoughts and prayers, but also some utility, <laughs> I guess, at the same time. <laughs> exactly. That'll be available in late May? Yeah, we'll be getting our uh, first round of inventory within two weeks. All right, very good. Welcome to the E6S Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, the weekly dose of tips and tricks to achieve excellent performance in your business and career. Join us as we explore deeper into the practical world of Lean, Six Sigma, project management, and design thinking. In this episode number 199, we continue with Speaking Upwards with TEDxer Raymond Poole and talk about public speaking in the workplace. If you're just tuning in for the first time, find all our back episodes on our podcast table of contents at e6s-methods.com. If you like this episode, be sure to click the like link in the show notes. It's easy. Just tap our logo, click, and you're done. Tap, click, done. Here we go. Right. Hey, thanks for that. I know basically a lot of the questions I've just been asking are out of my curiosity and how to well how to deal well with the trials of humanity. Uh, I think they apply to the office, but uh, more, t- more to the point, I think let's get to it. Uh, we're calling this one Speaking Upwards, and uh, this is about your your path through public speaking and how to try to bring it back to the careers of uh, Lean and Six Sigma and project management and those in business. So I thought maybe we'd go through your career and and how public speaking uh, evolved over that time. Sure. If you think back to one of your first public speaking engagements, and, and I, I guess I might be even talking in you know, elementary school. You think back to that. What, what, what? Uh, you know, how did it go? Um, or maybe even as an engineer, think back to the first presentation you did to management. You're out of school. The safety net's gone. How did you prepare? How did you feel leading up to it? And how did it go? You know, I think. Um, well, I do. I do want to share a little bit of a story. For when I, when I was in junior high, I had to memorize the national anthem and present it in front of the class. We all did, and I went up there. And I recited it faster than I think anybody has ever recited the national anthem in pretty much in the history of the United States. I just <laughs> as I went through this, as I went through it, I just got faster and faster and faster. And by the end, like people in the class were literally laughing and it didn't bother me so much because I'm not shy, but I knew it sounded ridiculous. But the whole idea was I was trying to get it out before I forgot it. I practiced it uh. so much. And yes, I was nervous, but I just wanted to get the next line before I forgot it. And, <laughs> you know, and I've always been a little bit of a fast talker and I still have to meter myself back at times. But that was that was kind of the first one that I remember. And I know my biggest concern was always, are you going to remember what you have to say? Mm-hmm. And when I when I first got um, when I first had to do a presentation in a corporate setting, 
I was a manufacturing engineer at the time, and I led a lot of our Lead and Six Sigma efforts. It was Remington Electric Shavers in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And my role had been up to that point uh, to be the manufacturing engineering contact on the Lean Six Sigma initiative that we'd moved forward with. And also it had been to support the production, you know, and the process um, for cutting systems. So I went to the first presentation and this was actually a um, just a technical presentation, just trying to show management that, you know, cross-functional management, this is what we've been working on. Mm -hmm. And I went in there fully prepared to answer all the technical questions. And I was researching my topic, making sure I understood everything to the nth degree. And we went in there. And when I got in there and, I, and they started to ask questions, I remembered questioning myself on all of the things that I wasn't supposed to say politically. And that was the thing that I felt like a deer in headlights because I could present the technical stuff. And then I was so caught up in the wording of things to say that we had struggled to develop something. Well, when we were practicing, I remember, oh, yeah, our director of ops had said, don't say we struggled to develop it. We we, you know, <laughs> we we figured this out or, you know, issues that we were 90 percent done with. I had to present them in a certain way with certain terminology. And that was where the panic started to sink in. And as I'm trying to present this, I'm recognizing I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I found myself not being very direct and not getting the point across. And it was horrible. And mm -hmm. that was the biggest concern. It wasn't because I lacked any of the technical knowledge. The problem was I wasn't prepared for the type of questions that might come out. And, and when it was time to answer those questions, I was concerned that I might answer them using a wrong phrase or a wrong word that wouldn't be appreciated by my boss or my boss's mm -hmm. boss. So that was my major concern when I first started uh, with presentations. So was that all hogwash or was that uh, you know something you really needed to polish up as you were going through? Well, I, I definitely needed to, to polish up my speech. But for me, it was about anticipating what questions that they would ask yeah. and having a better written out prepared response. So beforehand, I was thinking, okay, if they ask this, I'll, you know, I know the answer. But afterwards, it was like, okay, if they ask this, I'll try to word a response like this, and I jot it down. Mm -hmm. And just having it jotted down on my notepad, when the question came up, I was able to answer it more clearly. So for me, that was that was the first step in getting better at speaking at an organization. Yeah, and that's uh, one of the key is to when you're in that forum is to try to anticipate any objections and uh, see if you can head them off uh, at the pass before they even come up. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, heading them off at the pass was, was more the next thing that I learned. Okay. You know, cause w once I got into uh, project management, you go into these discussions with an idea that you've got this great project and you want to, you want to present it and sure you can answer all the questions, but you also find that sometimes management can take themselves down a path even if you have decent answers for a particular question. So that was really the point where I recognized, okay, let's make sure that we structure these slides in an order that when I raise a question, I'm answering it on the next slide, not at the end of the presentation. Mm -hmm. You know, having, having um, an understanding of what questions are going to come up and when gave me a better understanding. Okay. You know what, if you're going to bring up delayed equipment delivery, uh, how will, you know, the next slide, I've got to talk about how that's going to impact the project timeline, the mitigations we're taking, the risks, uh, how those have changed. 
And once I present that, you see the level of tension in the room drop a little bit. And sure, they have follow-up questions and that sort of thing, but just having it with the right structure doesn't leave them with this question on their head, distracting them for the rest of your presentation. Right. Yeah, that's a, a good tactic. H- has there been a time that you had to use that forum as a way to uh, persuade in a direction that may have been unpopular? Well, I think for a lot of our projects that we had to present, there were always opposing views, Mm -hmm. right? So there were always the folks that felt things were good as they were and the folks that were really driving for change. Now, when you're running projects, typically you're on the change side of that discussion. Right. So when you're, when, when presenting those things, the, you know, a big part was understanding, okay, well, who's my audience and, you know, who are the individuals that are going to be really concerned with, uh, with this level of change, So a lot of times I found myself, especially for risks and mitigations, trying to gear that around, you know, okay, well, what's Tom going to say when I bring this thing up? Mm -hmm. How do I, how do I better prepare myself, have a slide ready to address that? And also just, you know, at the same time, still being aware of, you know, that culture in your facility and what's that, what's that word that you shouldn't use? You know, like we, we always had different words that we were trying to avoid because our general manager, for instance, didn't like the term vendor. They liked supplier because a vendor sounded like somebody selling street meat. So <laughs> you, so you, you're, you are aware of these little eccentricities of these individuals and you know, you're never going to get them all right. right. And it's not, you know, in the same way, you know, in the beginning of my career, I was so concerned with trying to, um, address everything perfectly later you recognize, okay, well, as long as you're aware of it and you do your best to address this, uh, this concern, then either the idea will stand and you'll have the right support or you won't. But at some point you've got to recognize that, you know, some of these are just terms that, that don't have the same kind of meaning that, um, uh, that you're worried they do. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great tactic because basically what you're doing is you're trying to craft the message so that uh, it doesn't block or craft the delivery so that it doesn't block what the message actually is so that people don't get hung up on what word you use um, because it happens, you know, you can Mm -hmm. get hung up on these things and just, if it's really that close, close to your mind or close to your heart, you're just going to stop listening to the rest of it. And so that's part of getting to them emotionally beyond whatever the data are saying and getting to, um, I don't know, getting, getting, cutting straight to the, to the heart without, uh, hitting those speed bumps. Yes. And, you know, and it's so much, I, I've, I've found that so much of that slide, those, you know, preparing your slide deck and, and, and walking everybody through it is yeah to try to avoid, you know, them getting distracted, them thinking about something else, them going off on a tangent and, and focusing people on, this is the end result that we're going for. This is, this is the change that we're trying to drive to giving them a vision of what that end stage could look like and then kind of walking them through how to get there. Mm -hmm. And I found, you know, just at different, uh, during different discussions, it's worth periodically sprinkling in. This is what the end stage looks like, you know, especially when you're, when you're talking to folks that are very risk averse. So when you've been in, in some of these and maybe there's been multiple, multiple readouts, what would you say, you know, looking at some of your colleagues or, or even yourself, or some of the com- most more common mistakes people make in this venue. You know, I think you know. At, at one point, I was um, I, I would run the 
project approval meeting. So we'd have upper management there and we'd have all the project engineers coming out and presenting their projects. So many of our, our project engineers, like beforehand, you know, I'd help them with their slides and, and, and kind of walk through, okay, this is, this is how we want to present it. But I think my biggest drive was every slide needs to be one step closer to that conclusion that you're driving. Mm -hmm. And when you have, when you pull that slide up, don't go and read it mechanically because people can read the slide. They're going to be not paying as much attention to you as they might otherwise pay attention. But if you can go up there, have this slide up there and really get to the root of, you know, I've got this slide to show you that financially it makes sense to move forward with this project. I've got this next slide to essentially show you that uh, the risks are minimal, you know, particularly when it comes to uh, inventory or, um, or, or quality control or something along those lines. And I feel like, I feel like so many people get so bogged down in the details mm -hmm. that they don't even recognize that half the people in that room are not engineers. They don't know the project as well as you do. You want to give them that one takeaway that says, hey, this project makes financial sense or this project is on schedule or this project will be done by this date. And all of those ideas, you know, all of the other um, facts that you have on that slide are just supporting that one takeaway that you've got. Right. And if they just take away one takeaway per slide, in the end, they're going to walk away with the idea that, hey, this is a pretty good project. Let's move forward. And that's that's kind of what I would uh, what I would always stress to everybody. Just one one solid takeaway per slide and people will pay attention and read the other stuff as they see fit. They'll ask you questions on it. But just know that you've got that to back you up. So I guess knowing that when you go in there that the the goal uh, in such a venue is the the wrong thing to do is show them how smart you are and the right thing to do is just get the <laughs> message across very clearly. Exactly right. Yes. What if you have mixed mixed crowd, mixed crowd in the you're in the situation where you've got executives all the way down to, you know, finance people, engineers, hourly, maybe union frontline workers, you've got a mixed crowd. Um does that change your approach at all? It's, it's sometimes it varies the, the content a bit. You know, I think, I think one thing that is common across everything is everybody wants to see somebody present with competence. Nobody wants to see anybody up there faltering and, and questioning their own presentation. They want to see people go up there, have solid answers. And if they don't have a specific answer to a specific question, put that on the side and say, I'll come back. I'll answer that, you know, by such and such a date. So I feel like I feel like the general push for those presentations are the same. Now, at the same time, you know, when I'm looking at a presentation to hourly folks, more often than not, they're focused on how their specific job might change. Right. And when I'm talking to executives, most of them are focused on either high level uh, directional ideas or will this project deliver? And, you know, and obviously risk, you know, everybody's got a, a bit of a concern for risk. So. You know, I, I let that I let that affect the content of what I'm presenting. But I but again, the more mixed the crowd is, the more I try to take a general step back with how I present it and then maybe sometimes throw in a very specific comment for um, for specific groups in the crowd. But be aware that I, I don't want to go off on a tangent and be talking about overhead costs for five minutes on a slide when you really only have one finance guy that cares about it. 
You know, it's it's a matter of trying to balance that. Okay, we've got this this mixed crowd. We want to we want to have that takeaway. But if he really wants to ask that question, he can ask it. You know, at the end of the slide or the end of the presentation. Did you find that your style or message? How much different would it have to be in speaking with customers? You know, customers to me, one of the things that I learned a lot when I, we're, t- are I we talking, sw- are we talking B two B? We're, t- I guess, I'm talking about when you're product manager. You know, are we talking B two B at this point? Yeah, we're talking uh, uh, business to business. I started as a product manager for uh, substation transformers and and a particular dielectric fluid that we were um, that we were producing. It was a an, a biodegradable um, dielectric fluid. Okay. So these, you know, so it's a very technical product. We're selling to uh, purchasing folks and to other engineers or to purchasing folks that were engineers. So they know the product fairly well. For me, when it came down to presenting our product specifically or an idea, I found so much more was about personal, personally connecting with folks and showing them that not only were you know were we competent, but we were there to support that partnership. And for me, the thing that I focused on more was if we're trying to make a personal connection with these folks, you're talking, you're using more um, vocal variety, you're using more eye contact. And I think that was really the point when I recognized having that ability to talk to a room that's like a mid-sized room of 10 to 12 people has got quite a bit of value mm-hmm. because you go into these areas and and you've got obviously opportunities to sell person to person or to, to have your you and your salesperson next to you while you talk to one other guy. But when you've got a room of like 12 people or so, you've got to look, you've got to scan the room. You're trying to make eye contact and you're explaining these different points to different people. You're identifying the people that are a little bit less engaged and trying to figure out the way to get them a little bit more engaged. Because so much of being a product manager is, I mean, obviously you've got the strategic piece and trying to determine, you know, the direction. But at the same time, if you're going out to see a customer, you want to have a decent relationship. And I feel like, like having that eye contact, being able to connect with them sometimes before and after the meeting and be able to present in a certain way that they say, okay, these guys really know what's going on and they're genuine in saying that they're here to support that partnership. Well, I know a lot of people can sometimes struggle when they're going into customer facility and trying to talk to a customer who's a little skeptical and try to convince them that, hey, you know, I'm here to support you without trying to sound too salesy. Right. You know, so I think, you know, so from what I have, what I've always found is, you know, when, when in, in those situations, having more eye contact, trying to have more of a personal connection and, you know, having a little bit more of an interactive session showing a little bit more personality, I found that that helps a little bit more than just going up there and doing a stiff presentation. So you're at the customer that you've given your pitch. They say, okay, that's very nice. You're very, you're very smooth and charismatic, uh, salesman, uh, <laughs> you know, extension of sales. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but I, I want to talk to your top scientists, get them in here and uh, have them speak. So first, what's your, what's your gut reaction to that? And then second, how do you prepare that uh, scientist. I think it's a great thing to get your your scientists in there, get your engineers in there, and have them connect on a level where they really feel like, okay, these these um, these people have a technical competence that they can really not only support us, but 
they're not they're not blowing smoke like this is all legit the things that they're saying to us so you know one of the one of the products we were actually uh driving it was it was after i transitioned to um overhead transmission conductor we were driving this new product it was e3x and it the idea was that it was a coating that helped keep uh um that helped the conductor run at lower temperatures, which drives less losses, which drives higher efficiency. So you could either uh, get a smaller conductor and use the same current, or you can use the same size conductor and uh, lose less, um, uh, use basically uh, lose less power as you run current through that line. Mm-hmm. So our entire strategy for that tour was all based around the engineer that developed that technology. Mm-hmm. You know, when we went from from site to site, we went in, the salesperson, you know, did some introductions and we shifted we shifted the presentation over to him right away because I think so much in a way where we were talking earlier just about anticipating questions. You know, when you're talking new technology in an industry where people are not particularly excited about change, they were pretty averse to change. You start out, you know, our goal was we're gonna start out with an engineer. We're gonna start out with somebody that can explain things in simple terms. And he had a very well thought through presentation, mm-hmm. but he wasn't presenting uh, animation. He was presenting real test data, you know, test video. And he was showing people, hey, you know what? We're getting you in early because you're a trusted partner. And that led into my discussions with him as, hey, you know what? Not only am I saying you're a trusted partner, but I can prove it because here we are developing this product. It's not for sale yet, and we're talking to you about it. Mm-hmm. So that that to me was that you know that that to me was the value of trying to understand this is this is the kind of industry that we're in. This is the kind of questions that we're going to get, and I'm not going to I, I'm not going to um, go into something like this if I think that they're going to directly ask for an engineer to come address the problem. I'm not going to come in and, you know, and, and try to cover it and try to avoid that. I just want an engineer who's prepared that could come in and present it with the confidence, um, that, you know, he really, he really did present that well, you know, and especially by the time we were, uh, closer to market, I mean, he had that presentation down. I couldn't have done it any better than he did. So you talked about confidence and did that, that confidence just come with their knowledge in the subject matter or, or did any confidence need to be developed in terms of speaking publicly? You know, I think, um, I think, you know, obviously everybody's different, you know, I feel like with engineers, you know, and maybe it's just my own journey in the beginning, it's, Hey, do I have the competent, do I have confidence in myself to know that I've got a good understanding of this technical product, especially because you're often in an industry where you've got other engineers you're presenting to, maybe they're not working as an engineer. Maybe they're working as a, a, a purchasing agent. But they're working with you and you don't want to you don't want to wing it. You want to be able to answer the tough questions. And I think once you get through that, you know, I think so much of it just comes down to anticipating questions and being prepared for it. And if it takes this turn, we're going to say this. And if it goes that way. So so much of it is done before you even get in there Mm -hmm. and you're saying, okay, I'm going to prepare for all of these different things. And then at the same time. You, you know, when we would go into customers, you would have a salesperson and I would be there as well. And you're trying to, you're all trying to basically read the room and respond in the most appropriate way that's going to answer their question. And, you know, and, and you, you start to get to know each other. So, you know, 
um, you know, if this question is going to stump the person next to you and when the right time to jump in might be. So a lot of sales folks would be concerned about having an engineer there, one, because they can't really control it. the exact words that come out of that person's mouth. Um, yeah. Are they going to spill the beans on something we didn't want them to say, um, or are they going to you know, come across some way? Um, so it doesn't sound like you had this issue with this particular person. Are there other engineers within the same org, and you'd say, there's no way I'm going to put them in front of the customer? You know, I've, I've had uh, other engineers that I really wouldn't have wanted to, but at the same time, they were either the top expert on that particular subject matter or the customer already knew them and requested them. So I have had that situation. I think the, I think the, the key is preparation. Mm-hmm. You know, the key is to sit down in advance and whether it's, you know, whether it's anticipating questions, whether it's just kind of going through and saying, Hey, this is the idea we're presenting. I understand that these, these things might be possibilities, but our goal isn't to try to say, you know, you know, isn't to try to say, a, B, or C. Our goal is to um, to say D, right? So you can go through and you can talk to them. And obviously, you're, you know, you go into the customer and you want to you're you want to be as honest as possible. But at the same time, depending on who you're talking to and who you bring in, theoretically, we have we had some engineers that could answer questions very theoretically and say, well, technically, yeah, I suppose that is possible, mm-hmm. and get people worried about something that's a one percent <laughs> chance of of happening. So, you know, so, so with that engineer in particular, the whole idea was just, just to present to him, Hey, this is, this is, you know, these are the probabilities. So this is why we're saying this, Mm -hmm. you know, we know that this isn't that likely, right? Do you agree? Do you not agree? And, you know, and in the end, I think so much of it just comes down to coming to, you know, coming to common terms with, okay, this is, these are the types of questions. These are the answers that we agree that, that we're going to approach it this way. And, you know, it's still, you know, the question goes to that engineer and your heart still stops for a second and wonders, like, is he what, you know, what's he going to say? But um, but in the end, I you know, I honestly feel it's way better to have that person in the meeting with that level of expertise rather than to have just the folks that, you know, myself were sometimes, you know, especially, you know, by the time I was a product manager, I was definitely not to that that level of, of depth on the, um, the, the theoretical and technical functioning of transient voltage through a transformer or something along those lines. So, you know, to have that, that support there shows the customer, Hey, we're a partnership. We're trying to get you the best information. We're bringing you one of our best guys over here to explain it to you. So yeah, it sometimes causes a little, um, uh, uh, you know, a little stress, but in the end, you know, I feel like if it's, if it's a, difficult enough situation, a tough enough question that you want to get your best engineers with their best engineers, just take the time and prepare for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you, like it or not, even though you're an engineer background, uh, you you crossed over to the top line side of uh, sales and marketing and uh, that, that reduces your credibility in <laughs> in that <laughs> yeah. space. Oh, so definitely you got to bring over the guy that they don't think could possibly lie. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think there is there is definitely some uh, confidence that it inspires to be bring somebody who might not be as polished to just come out and say, this is what works. This is what doesn't work. And that holds a certain it it, it provides a certain well confidence for the customer to recognize. Yeah, they're they're not going to come in here. And this guy clearly isn't a um, 
you know, uh, a polished, prepared speaker that's coming in here and telling us that all our ideas are terrible and right. we shouldn't have asked the dumb question. You know, <laughs> so at the same time, you know, that that, you know, there's good and bad that comes with that. So you've uh, gotten your polish within the uh, organization and, and moved through the ranks in business. Uh, you took off your engineering hat, took off your marketing hat, and now you've put on your CF corner man hat. What from that business experience were you able to carry forward uh, into a different venue and, and what was different? You know, I think I think for me, what I brought from engineering was and, and from marketing was a singular focus. You know, you're you know, I, if I'm delivering a speech, like, for instance, when I delivered the uh, TEDx talk, my goal was to talk about realistic optimism. To try to to try to give examples of it, to try to walk people through how I came to these conclusions, and try to get people to kind of come with us on that journey and come out the other side and say, yes, like this perspective makes a lot of sense because of all of these reasons. And when you start to do that, you have that singular focus, and you you end up trying to pull out all of this extra fluff. And there was a lot that I ended up having to pull out of that speech. But in the end, I think it makes you more focused on the point that you're trying to make. So I felt that was that was what I brought from the engineering background. And also, you know, just the just the fact that you have the confidence of saying, you know what, this is my experience. This is what I know. And I can explain this to somebody just from Mm -hmm. the sheer number of years that you do that. Thanks for listening to episode 199 of the E6S Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode 200. Part 3 of our Speaking Upward series with TEDxer Raymond Poole. Don't forget to click like or dislike for this episode in the show notes. Have click done. If you have a question, comment, or advice, leave a note in the comment section or contact us directly. Feel free to email me, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at e6s-methods.com or on our website. We reply to all messages. If you heard something you like, then share us with a friend or leave a review. Didn't like what you heard? Join our LinkedIn group and tell us why. Don't forget, you can find notes and graphics for all shows and more at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. If you're not climbing up, you're falling down.